Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Kings chapter 22 as we finish off the book of 1 Kings in a Bible study that I've entitled, Man Cannot Outsmart God. There isn't any of us that can outsmart God, including King Ahab. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 22, he says, uh, it's written, now three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. And it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours, but we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? So he said to Jehoshaphat, will you go with me to fight at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And so King Jehoshaphat, he agrees to partner with Ahab, but we learn that he wanted to hear from the Lord first. Notice verse 5, Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there still not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? And so the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Mark, mark that thought. Because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, well, let not the king say such things. And the king of Israel called an officer and said, bring Micaiah and the son of Imlah quickly. And the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, verse 11, the son of Chenea, said, had made horns of iron for himself. And he said, thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied saying, go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. So there's, there's this need to hear from the Lord before going to battle from Jehoshaphat because Jehoshaphat is a much better king than Ahab. And he wants to hear from the Lord, but he has this check in his spirit, or we might refer to it as, you know, a feeling in your gut. You know, you've got a gut feeling something isn't right. And I want you to notice between verse 6 and verse 7, a distinction in the word that's being used. Notice, in verse 6, the king of Israel gathers the prophets together, about 400 men. They said to him, shall I go against Ramoth Gilead to fight or shall I refrain? So they said, go up, for the Lord will deliver it into their hands. Adonai, the Lord. But notice in verse 7, Jehoshaphat said, is there still not a prophet of Yahweh? And you say, Ed, well, what's the difference? I don't see the difference. Well, notice in verse 6, in the New King James Version, the translators use this translation over and over again to make a distinction. You'll notice in verse 6, it's capital L, little o, little r, little d. But then in, cap, in verse 7, it's all caps. Capital L, capital O, capital R, D. Whenever you see that, that is a reference to Yahweh. And in the Lord, you have to look it up. But most likely... I mean, I know it's this one, this word in particular is the word Adonai, and there's a distinction. There's a distinction from what's happening with Ahab and what is happening with Jehoshaphat. Now, this hesitation from the 400 prophets is something that I refer to in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit alarm. Have you ever had that ringing sensation, if you will, that something's not quite right with this person, with this situation, and you may even describe it, I can't put my finger on it, 
but I just know it's not right. It's not clear. It's a feeling or a little hesitation to go forward. And you're unable to really clearly understand what's happening. And so instead of moving forward, you just stop or you pause. And I believe for us as believers in the new covenant, now Jehoshaphat doesn't have that here. Uh, He doesn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling him. But we have something even greater. And that is this Holy Spirit living inside of us. In 1 Corinthians, we learn the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. We went through them one by one uh, in our Bible study previously. But one of them that's so important that we need to be remain open to is something known as the discerning of spirits. Or we might refer to it as the gift of discernment. You're just able, the gift of discernment where you're able to tell right from wrong, especially as it relates to the scriptures. You're able to discern what is right and what is wrong. L- let me show you another Old Testament example. Turn over to 1 Kings, or excuse me, 1 Samuel chapter 16. 1 Samuel chapter 16. It's very important to live with discernment in our lives. The ability to tell right from wrong, where, where everything isn't what it seems to be. And this principle is revealed throughout the Bible, but in one particular time with Samuel, notice in chapter 16, uh, verse 1, it says, the Lord, notice again, that's the L-O-R-D, Yahweh is speaking to Samuel saying, how long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I've rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go, I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If the Lord hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice. And then invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I'll show you what you shall do and you shall anoint for me the one I named you. Verse four. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. And the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance but the Lord, Yahweh, looks at the heart. This is a very important principle to understand. You and I, we are only able to see the outside. There isn't any of us that with our ability to see and to listen, to listen to someone speaking, we aren't able to know the heart. Now, there is something to be said, though, where Jesus speaks to us that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, so, you know, if you get somebody talking long enough, eventually the, the true colors of their heart will come out. But generally speaking, we are unable to know someone's heart. And when we begin to presume that we do know someone's heart, we're treading on very dangerous waters. However, man looks at the outward, but God, God sees the heart. Now, what we learn from, what we learn from Samuel here is that outward appearances can fool us. We could see something. This is in the positive here in the sense where Samuel sees the oldest son. This, this has got to be the one. He looks like the one. And God literally tells him, don't choose him. I've refused him. Because what you see on the outward is not what I'm looking at, but rather I know his heart. You can jot it down in maybe in your notes on the side of your Bible, Isaiah chapter 55, because it's another place where God very specifically tells us that his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways aren't our ways. And if we don't grasp this principle, we will make many mistakes. And we do, we do make many mistakes. I've made many mistakes just like Samuel, where I have assessed on the outward, I even prayed through things, and I was wrong. There was deception going on. And I have to say there have even been times where I have been deceived by someone 
And the Holy Spirit was even warning me ahead of time. Not specifically, not, not like I didn't get a letter in the mail or I didn't get something so clear like Samuel did, I've refused him. But I had this gut feeling something wasn't right. I had this sense something wasn't right. I even went to talk to the person and their answers seemed to line up and we moved forward until finally, finally true colors were revealed. This is where the manifestation of the discerning of spirits is so needed. We have more than what Samuel did because the Holy Spirit is inside of us, helping us both to see and to think and even to know what God knows about a situation. The Holy Spirit helps us in discerning between good and evil, holy and unholy, righteous and unrighteous. We open ourselves up to this gift simply by obeying what John told us. Jot it down, 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. In another place, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit in verse 13, describes a group of people. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness whose end will be according to their works. That's a New Testament way of saying not everybody is what they say they are, especially within the congregation. Now, I know when we come together as a church family or whatever church family you're a part of, there is a sense of excitement and anticipation to be with the saints. It's so different than the things that we need to do in the world and the world environment. The music is different. The atmosphere is different. It's encouraging. This is a place where you know you're going to be pointed to the things of God. You know that you're going to hear about God. You know you're going to be encouraged. It's, it's, one, it's so wonderful that if you, if you don't think about it, you're going to let your guard down in this room. You're just going to let your guard down. Uh, you, you know, the, uh, an example, you, you just come in and you go, I'm just worshiping the Lord, and, and you just don't want to have the edge that you have in the world. You don't want to keep your eye open, kind of. You don't want to have to second guess anyone. You don't want to have to worry about anyone. And, and so what happens in churches? A lot of people are taken advantage of. A lot of purses are stolen. You know, we have people in the parking lot looking over the cars. Why? Because a lot of cars are messed with. Like, like there are th- those that... Those that want to take advantage of people will often seek out churches, which is why I don't want you to let your guard down. Now, you don't have to have the same edge that you might have uh, in the world, but at the same time, there are those that will transform themselves, those that are not following God, those that don't love God, those that don't care about God, that will transform themselves and pretend to be believers, and they'll pick up the lingo. It doesn't take long to pick up the lingo. How you doing, brother? Hallelujah, brother, sister. Oh, you're going to leave your purse here while you go talk to someone. Perfect, sister. And let me buy you a cup of coffee. Let me, you know, just watch your purses, ladies, okay? And guys, keep an eye out for people that would want to take advantage of the ladies or of the guys here. Keep an eye out that although we're gathered together, as saints, and we're gathered together for the most part in an environment that worships, that we don't let our guard down to the point where we're not walking in wisdom anymore. We need to keep the wisdom at the forefront. And and if there's something, you have a gut check about something, then follow up with it. Talk to one of the pastors, perhaps. Follow up with, you're uncomfortable, somebody's making you uncomfortable, come talk to one of the pastors. And we'll, we'll follow up and say, hey, what's going on? How are things, how, what, you know, what's going on? How, how are you tonight? It's okay to walk around with discernment. The Lord wants us to be wise. He knows our limitations. I I think we need to understand that we have limitations, that we don't know everything about everything. And that's where the Spirit of God comes in. He is able and eager to help us discern from good and bad, from right and wrong, the truth from the lies. 
I look back on my life and I see so many times when I've been taken advantage of, when I've been lied to, or hurt deeply by liars, deceivers. Because we do give people the benefit of the doubt, right? Because that's what God has done to us. <laughs> like we're so eager to be gracious with people because God's been so gracious to us. And yet you've got to understand when you extend grace to someone, it, it is going to be an opportunity for you to experience the same kind of pain that Jesus experienced as he, had gra- he extended grace. And yet, as I look back, there was also those times where that alarm was sounding. Sometimes very loud, sometimes very low, but I ignored it or explained it away with some rational reason. It's not like I was walking in sin, uh, but, but I was like, man, Lord, I, th- maybe that's not it, and maybe I'm not seeing it right. And instead, I need to train myself, even after all of these years, to pray and pay. Pray and pay attention. Pay attention spiritually. It will save us from a lot of trouble that we would learn how to be led by the Holy Spirit. So what does Jehoshaphat do? He's got these 400 prophets, but it seems like these 400 prophets are loyal to Ahab because they're still alive and they're following him. And he's the one that calls them. And you know how the kingdom has been. We've studied Ahab. Like This was a kingdom, either you agree with Ahab or you're dead. And so Jehoshaphat's picking up on something. He goes, "Isn't, isn't there a prophet Isn't there any prophet that is loyal to Yahweh? And this guy, Micaiah, or Micaiah, his name comes up. And and of course, you know this guy's legit. How do we know that? Ahab hates him. Doesn't want to hear from him. I don't want to hear from that guy anymore. And he hated him because he spoke the truth. Isn't that Ahab's pattern? He would always look at someone and call someone that told him the truth his enemy. And that's how he treated Elijah. He, Elijah, he thought Elijah was his enemy. Why? Because Elijah would tell him the truth. When in fact, he wasn't his enemy at all. So now notice verse 13 in 1 Kings 22. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. It's kind of give him a heads up. I mean, isn't that... You put yourself in Micaiah's, uh, in his shoes for a second, his sandals, and you you know you've got to speak the word of the Lord. You know you've got to make that hard decision. And isn't there always someone that is always telling you there's a way out? There's a way out of this hard situation. If you'll just speak encouragement. Everyone else, you're you're up one to 400. Everyone's speaking encouragement to the king. Why don't you just speak encouragement? You know, everyone's going this way. Why don't you go this way? And Micaiah, verse 14, said, As Yahweh lives, whatever Yahweh says to me, I will speak. Praise God for that. Whatever God tells me to speak, I'm going to speak. Yeah, but you know, the king and the 400 prophets, you know, listen, I'm not loyal to the king and I'm not loyal to the 400 prophets above and beyond my loyalty to God. And what he has to say, I will say. And he came to the king, verse 15, and the king said to him, Micaiah, um, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. And so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you'll tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He doesn't believe him. And the messenger goes, he tries to give him a way out. Micaiah says, no way, I'm gonna speak with the Lord. And what did God tell him? God told him, go ahead, go and prosper. Go forward in battle. That's the will of God. Ahab's reply is a little sarcastic in verse 16. He, he wants to make sure this is from the Lord. It doesn't sound right. He agrees with the 400. As you'll see in a moment, there's a little bit of a different ending than Ahab is expecting. But he does tell him to go, verse 17. Now those of you that read ahead know this is a little bit of a troubling passage. But we'll go through it uh, and explain it uh, to the point where we'll understand a little better. Verse 17. Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his own house in peace. And the kings of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by and on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up? 
that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead. So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner and a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. Verse 22, the Lord said to him, in what way? And so he said, I'll go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you shall persuade him and also prevail, go out and do so. Remember that now therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now this is an interesting vision that Micaiah had and shared. The sheep will be scattered and the shepherd will be taken out. And Ahab understood it. Ahab understood this vision to mean that his days were numbered. So the original word, go and prosper, I mean, he took that, but his thought was he was going to be victorious and he would come back. But that's not the case at all. God was giving insight to Micaiah of what is going to happen in the future. Now, what about this lying spirit that is mentioned in the vision? Well, first of all, understand that this is mentioned as a vision before Micaiah. It was given to him in a vision. It's a dramatic revelation of God's power and sovereignty. But secondly, remember that the devil and the demonic realm still have some sort of access to God in heaven and in every way must yield themselves to the will of the Father. So when you see this, God is not commending lying here. He's not approving of lying. He's simply using it to accomplish his purposes. God doesn't approve of lying. He doesn't promote lying, but he does permit it. Some of you were lied to this week and God allowed it. It's painful to be lied to. It undercuts the very essence of relationship, doesn't it? It takes away the very foundation of trust. The the fabric of every relationship is trust. And that trust is eroded through dishonesty. And yet, though God allows it, he can also redeem it for his purposes. You could say in a, a way that the devil serves the purposes of God. The devil serves the purposes of God. He's under the providential or the sovereign hand of God. And often, Satan, what he does is he exploits the alternative, doesn't he? He tempts us away from God. So much of what the devil does in accordance and agreement with our flesh is tempting us to the alternative of living after the things of God. And God allows that to test us to tempt us. The devil tempts us and God allows that so that our free will choice will come to the surface. And in that way, he serves the purposes of God. By God allowing him to tempt you, by God allowing him to test you, and you remaining faithful, and you remaining true to God, it makes your relationship with God all the more meaningful. Because on the one hand, when there's lying and deceit in relationship that erodes our relationship, when there's fidelity and truth, that strengthens it. I mean, when you go through the fire, that's, that's really the, the only thing that really strengthens relationships is time and testing. Those are the two ingredients to a very vibrant, fruitful friendship, marriage, relationship within the body of Christ, it it can't be short-circuited. Time and testing. So so you think about a relationship that you're in a brand new friendship, you're you're clicking, you're hitting it off, and you're thinking, this is the one. This is from the Lord. This is what a great relationship. Then the test comes. And the test usually comes as a challenge to the fidelity of that relationship. And then you either work through the test, you work through the issues, you, you forgive and move forward, or you're unable to resolve that situation. And what looked so strong in the beginning did not stand what? The test of time. Time and testing is what builds relationships. And when you experience in your relationship with God, victory over your flesh, victory over this world system, victory over the devil, it, it makes your relationship with God something even more valuable and wonderful and beautiful. And in a very real way, Satan serves the purposes of God. God has placed 
upon the devil the limits in his life of what he can do. Remember Job? Satan was standing there complaining to God, telling God, you've put a hedge around Job. The only reason he's loyal to you is because you've, let, you, you've protected him. And God said, no, no. No, that's not the only reason. And he, he pulled back a little bit of his protection on Job. And although it was hard in the beginning with Job, Job came out neither blaspheming God or turning his back on God. You see, God knows your breaking point. Have you experienced, no need to respond, but have you experienced a temptation recently? Have you experienced a a taunting by the devil perhaps, or, you know, just to throw up your hands and, you know, who's going to know? You might have even thought about a sin you haven't thought about in a while, and, and you're thinking, if I went and did that, who would know? Who would really care? What difference would it really make? But then you battled in the Spirit, and you prayed, you go, I had no business doing that, and I don't want to go back there. And then you were like, no, I, I will, because I, I, I want to. And, and then you're in the Spirit going, no, I don't want to. It's like, Romans chapter 7 being lived all out again. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do. And I find that there's this battle in my members, Paul said. And every time you're tempted, God knows what your breaking point is and what your weakness is. And he puts a hedge around that by his spirit. How do we know that? 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But with every temptation, God, what? He has made a way of escape. And do you know one of the greatest, more, most repetitive ways of escape is simply the word no. I'm reminded of how many times they came to Nehemiah as he was wanting to build the wall and they invited him, come to the plains of Ono. Come to the plains of Ono. Let's have a friendly discussion. And they were just on him constantly. And his answer was, I'm not going to go to the plains of oh no. Why? Because I'm doing a great work of God. And he took the escape. He says, the invitation came, hey, do you want to come to the plains of oh no? And Nehemiah says, oh no, I am not going. I am doing a great work for God. Now you may not see yourself as doing a great work for God, but I'll tell you this, God is doing a great work in you. God is at work in your life. He's promised to finish what he started. And when the temptation comes to the plains of Ono, where the enemies, the enemies of God are coming after you. One of the things we prayed for in, the, in our little group at the Harvest Fest, something the Lord put on my heart to pray for is, you know, anytime we step out to turn the light on, even such a small way on a very dark night, especially to go after the kids with the love of Jesus Christ, the enemy is at work. There is pushback. That there is a constant pushback against reaching children with the gospel. And reaching children, even just putting a track in their hand, even just putting them in an environment where the love of God will be supreme. There's a pushback. And yet there's always a way out. The way to undermine the work of the devil is to resist him steadfast in the faith. To resist him. The devil's motives are always undermined when you take the way of escape. These temptations that we endure, these temptations that we have that are met with the victory of God only make your relationship stronger. Now, you may not feel that way today. You may not feel like because you're so exhausted from the battle. But when you get stronger, remember what what Jesus told Peter? He says, you're going to deny me, but, but when you return, you strengthen your brethren. When you return, strengthen your brethren. You're going to become stronger enough to strengthen the brethren. Well, back in 1 Kings, disaster according to verse 23 is what's happening to Ahab, finally. It's always a sad thing when we find the disasters come upon those that refuse to turn toward the Lord. But it's Ahab had his day, verse 24. Zedekiah, the son of Chenotnah, Went, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, indeed you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide. And the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison. 
put this fellow in prison and feed him with bread of affliction and the water of affliction until I come in peace. And the Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Verse 29, so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. So Ahab does decide to go into battle, but he disguises himself, encouraging Jehoshaphat to wear the royal robes to become a target. It's a great guy to go to battle with. But you, we, already know his, we already know what his true character is. And it's discouraging because here are two kings aligning themselves together, giving each other their word, but one is a liar and a fraud and a deceiver. Now, tying back together with the gift of discerning of spirits or the gift of discernment, have you ever been betrayed by someone? Has anyone ever broken your trust before? Someone that you love, someone that you cared with, somebody you went to battle with, somebody that you were side by side with? I thought, I thought of this not just with Ahab to Jehoshaphat, but I thought of how heartbroken, how heartbroken Jesus must have been when he was betrayed by Judas. Even though he knew what would happen. And Judas sold out. He spent three years with this. He did everything together. Like they, remember, they weren't able to, they, they were, to the very end, the disciples still didn't get it that Judas was the one. They, they didn't understand. He was able to pull this off really well. He looked like a disciple, he acted like a disciple, he sounded like a disciple, and, and yet for, for three years he served, he, he, didn't just, he didn't just betray Jesus, although that's his greatest betrayal, he betrayed everyone else. And he betrayed all of that relation, that, that tight-knit, even though they had their ups and downs, it, with the exception of Jesus, they all made mistakes, they all did things that were goofy, and they were at each other's throat at times, and competing, and all of that normal human stuff, but he also, Judas, betrayed the other 11. The guys they went to battle with. They went and saw miracles. He was a part of it. And what did he sell them for? For, a, for silver? Something that's so worthless and lacking value. I looked up the word betray. It literally means to expose to danger by treacherously giving information to an enemy. That's what the word betray means. To exposed to danger by treacherously giving information to an enemy. A second definition is betray means to be disloyal to. And it's painful to experience this in the world among those who hate God, but even more so those who profess to love God and profess to love you. And that's where Ahab is right now. It's all throughout the scriptures, unfortunately. If you have been betrayed, you're not alone. It's an unbearable and difficult thing to endure. The Proverbs say in chapter 10, verse 18, to hide hatred is to be a liar and to slander is to be a fool. People with hate in their hearts may sound pleasant enough, but don't believe them. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 24. Though they pretend to be kind, their hearts are full of all kinds of evil. And while their hatred may be concealed by trickery, it will finally come to light for all to see. And I would just say this. Not everyone that is saying that they're side by side with you is not side by side. That's why you just need to pray. Because you don't want to be taken advantage of by Ahab. It's going to be, you know, one of the positive things, I guess, you could say with Ahab is it's going to come back on his head. But, I mean, if you're Jehoshaphat, you're like, man, whatever you want to do, let's go take this battle. I'm in it just as much as you are. Well, notice with me in verse 30. Well, let's go to verse 31. Now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one small or great, but only with the king of Israel. And so it was when the captains of the chariot saw Jehoshaphat that they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened when the captains of the chariot saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they turned back from pursuing him. They didn't have a beef with Jehoshaphat. They, they were after Ahab. Now it happened, verse 33, that when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back, verse 34. Now a certain man drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor 
So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. The battle increased that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went through throughout the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria, verse 38. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed according to the word of the Lord which had been spoken. And the rest of the acts of Ahab, all that he did, the ivory house which he built, all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. It's difficult to watch the word of the Lord come out, come to play in real life, to see this literally happen. This isn't just the true story of a king of distant past. It's often the true story of many living in the 21st century. The wages of sin is death and watching it play out. The wages of sin coming to a person that what you've sown is what you're reaping. Evil abounds in our world among believers and unbelievers alike. There's a good chance in a room filled with this many people that there's deceit in this room right now. That there is without repentance going to be a tragic ending in your life. There's going to be a tragic ending where, you know, the Bible says that this is a random, you know, from a, from a human perspective, this is a random shot of the bow. But from God's perspective, that bow hit exactly where God intended. We have the perspective of this randomness, and yet God is able to work things together both for his good, let alone our good, of those that follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And that's what happens with Jehoshaphat. God is sovereign. And you and I aren't going to be able to outmaneuver or manipulate God. We're not going to be able, with all of our scheming and all of our plans, we can't outsmart him. We're not going to be able to outmaneuver, outmanipulate God. The plan and the trick with Ahab didn't work. And Ahab loses his life. And in Samaria, the word of the Lord came to pass that the dogs would lick up his blood. And Ahab will always remind us of the wicked king, a wicked king that to his death rebelled all the way to the end. And now his son will reign in his place. Verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in all the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Now, you can jot it down. We're going to get more into the life of Jehoshaphat in Second Chronicles. Um, but he was a good king. And He's known as a good king, and we'll learn more about him when we get into 2 Chronicles, verse 45. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he showed, how he made war, are, not, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remain in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land, verse 47. There was then no king in Edom, only a deputy of the king, and Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go to Ophir for gold, and they never sailed for the ships were wrecked at Azion, Geber. And then Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, let my servants go with your servants in the ships. But Jehoshaphat would not. And he rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. And then verse 51, Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel in Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat's king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Joram, the son of Nebat, who had made Israel sin. Can I just pause there, parents? Verse 52. Uh, unless God intervenes, generally, most likely, your kids are going to walk in your ways. Your kids 
are going to walk and follow your ways. Now, I know that that goes out to those that may have a few prodigal kids right now. They, they may be, and you go, wait a minute, Ed, I've got a couple kids that are not walking with the Lord right now. They're not, they're, and, and I am walking with the Lord. And there's always exceptions to a general rule. But understand this. If your kids see you compromise, you're training your kids to compromise. If your kids see you slide, you know, sliding off a little bit, your kids are going to slide off a little bit. If, if you don't give a priority to prayer in your house, then your kids aren't going to give a priority to prayer. If you don't give your, a priority to de- a devotional life, then your kids, if your kids watch you literally slay people with your mouth, then they're going to learn how to slay people with their mouth. Generally, that statement is going to be true for us. That our kids are going to walk in the ways of their father or their mother. And how careful we need to be. In my devos, I want to turn back real quick here to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I remember when the Lord gave me this verse as a new believer. It was so vital. And I have to say, even as a pastor, I've gone up and down on this in our home. And God has been really gracious because uh, there have been times when our Devo life with the kids and, and our, our family altar and times were just really strong. And then there were times when, they wasn't, when it wasn't. There were times when our, even when the kids are getting older, when our kids where we would pray together and there are times when there aren't. And I'm so grateful for the graciousness of God. But, but I also don't want to just lean on the grace of God. I, I want my home and I want my life to be demonstrating to my kids, no matter how old they are, and my grandkids, that, that this family follows the Lord. And when God tells us to do something, we do it. And, and that our lives will be one to live for God no matter what's happening in the church, no matter what people are saying. Now these days, what, be, what, what people are posting on Facebook, you know, your kids, if they're on Facebook, they're seeing people that go to your church, they're seeing your friends and all the stuff that's, like, don't think that for a moment, like, our kids don't see that stuff. They see it. Don't think for a moment they don't hear what's on television or what movies. You're, like all of that stuff is being handed over to your kids. And you think that there's not going to be a reaping coming? Do you think that there's, are we making it easier for our kids to backslide or harder? You know, is there any stand for righteousness? Any stand for righteousness? Even a lot of the church today is abandoning holiness. Like there's not an emphasis on the holiness of God. Now, just me mentioning that, I'm sure I'll get an email. Oh, oh, Pastor, you're being legalistic about the holiness of God. Fine, I'm being legalistic about it. Be holy. Try to see how holy you can be living for God. Try it. Try to eliminate things in your life that would stumble you. Try to put a filter on your computer. Try to turn off a show. Try to avoid a popular movie. Well, Ed, you know, it only has 10 F-bombs and a couple naked scenes. I can handle that. Yeah, maybe you can. Maybe that's the world you live in. You're a mechanic. You live in a world and that's stuff that's happening. There's stuff on the wall. Maybe you can. What about your kids? Well, I would never take my kids to that. Exactly. So why are you going? Oh, I can handle it. Okay. Then try to be holy for your kids. Just try it. Try, try to yield. How, how does holiness mean? It doesn't mean I give you a list of things to do or not do. Although there are some cultural things that are pretty easy. But I'm not, I don't want to list out. I don't want to give you a list of things to do and not do. This is where holiness comes from. An abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not even asking. You know, in the day we used to say, I guess you could if you wanted to. I mean, you could you do whatever you want to do. But, you know, we used to go, well, would I take Jesus with me into the movies? You are anyway, so you don't even need to ask that question. Where you are, the Spirit of God is. Believer. And as you abide in Him, the Holy Spirit will actually speak to you inside and say, yes, let's go there. Or no, let's not go there. Yes, let's do that. No, let's not do that. And as you yield to the Holy Spirit, your life becomes a holy representation. Right? You are indwelt by who? The wicked spirit? No. You're indwelt by who? The Holy Spirit. (laughs) You know, it's one of those things where we say so many times that we're not even recognizing the reality. It's the Holy Spirit in us. He wants us to live a life that's dedicated to him. And and it is going to be, you are going to be weird compared to the world. You are going to look different. It is going to feel hard. 
You may not be able to connect with people when somebody will come up to me and say, hey, Ed, did you see the movie? And I said, no, I don't know, I don't know. Either I read a review on it and I don't want to go because they, they, they revealed all kinds of junk in it, I don't need that, or, or I'm just not into that kind of stuff. I don't want to be, I don't want, it, I don't want that stuff in my head. I, I spend enough of my life apart from Christ filling my head with that stuff that sometimes the memories come back even to this day. It's been 20-something years, 26 years since I was into that stuff. And the enemy's still using it in my head. So here's something the Lord gave me, parents, Deuteronomy 6. And I just started Deuteronomy recently in my devos. And pick up with me in verse 4. It's the Shema. It is a prayer that is said by Israelis every day. And, and it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Or, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So here, here is the, here, here's what he says. He mentions, um, they shall be in your heart, verse 6. Teach them, verse 7. Talk of them, verse 7. Bind them, verse 8. And then write them, verse 9. In the life of the children of Israel as they're moving into the promised land and their new life away from Egypt, away from bondage, away from the slavery, which Egypt becomes a type of sin, becomes a type of the world. In this new life of freedom, the word of God must be the highest priority. The things that are being commanded to them, they need to be in their heart. They need to do them. They need to talk about them with their kids. It needs to be a part of our lives. When we're, when we're looking at and ministering to married couples, uh, whether they're you know, maybe in premarital or even at the highest crisis. Let's say at the highest crisis when we sit down with a married couple. One of the questions that we ask them is, do you talk about what you learn in church together on your way home? Or do you talk about what you learn in church? Do you talk out loud about what you each are receiving from the Bible study? That's something as a married couple you can start right away. That as you come to Bible study, you're listening to the same, or maybe you, your husband wasn't able to come or your wife wasn't able to come, and you can write down your notes and just say, hey, you know, the Lord gave me this. And it doesn't have to be like, Ed said that. Don't worry about what Ed said. So what the Lord, what's the Lord? What, what verse came out? What part of Jehoshaphat really spoke to you in contrast to Ahab? What is it about sowing and reaping that spoke to your heart? What is it about, hey, look, Ahab finally met disaster. And all along the way, haven't we learned with Ahab, as rotten as he was, God was gracious, God was gracious, God was gracious, all the way to the very end, all the way to the end. And you begin just one thing or two things, and then you have kids, like even if you're picking up your kids from Sunday school, find, hey, what did you guys learn? Going through the papers with them, uh, praying with them on, I mean, you can, you can talk to them about Jehoshaphat. You can make it a big joke with the kids, especially the younger ones, to see if they can pronounce that name and give them a reward. Here's a word. I want you to learn how to pronounce, pronounce Jehoshaphat. And by the end of the week, on Friday, if you could pronounce Jehoshaphat, because I can't even say it right, I'm going to give you a dollar. And you go, come on, Ed. Are you gonna, are you, I'm going to bribe my kids to talk about the Bible? Yes, it's okay. It's okay to bribe your kids. There was a teacher that my son had at Calvary Chapel in Downey. Eddie had his teacher in school uh, when he was at the school there, and he also had him um, in... Sunday school. His name was Bear, and that's what he was. He was just a big, big bear. And I found out as a newer believer that Bear was bribing my son to memorize the scriptures. And I had a big problem with it. So I went to Bear, and I had a little discussion with Bear. But Bear is a big guy, so I was kind and nice, and we, and we were friends. And I said, I just don't understand. I, I, don't, I don't want you to bribe my son. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. You know, it doesn't. And he says, Ed, listen. What is it, a dollar, 50 cents? And I said, yeah, whatever it is you gave him. And, and, he's, and is he happy? Yeah, he's happy. 
And did he memorize the scripture? And I said, yeah, he's memorizing scripture like crazy. He wants his pockets to be filled with quarters. And Bear looked at me and he said, there's nothing wrong with rewarding kids for doing the right thing. It changed my whole perspective. And if that means, you know, if that means I can uh, give a dollar to a kid so they can memorize a scripture or it means I could give a lollipop to help make them happy and have a thought that, man, a pastor gave me a lollipop today or it was fun at church. Man, anything that we can do to plant seeds into kids' hearts, we need to be doing so that we can get them at a young age to love the Lord God with all their heart, soul, and mind. And the primary responsibility for that is mom and dad. And it's never too late. Never too late. You look back and go, well, Ed, you know, my son is 30 years old now. Well, bribe the guy. (laughs) Tell him you'll take him out to lunch if he comes to church. Or like do what you need to do to sow the seeds of love into your kids, your grandkids, and see what God might do. Um, Coming back to 1 Kings 22, um, you know, Ahaziah, he reigns. He does evil in the sight of the Lord, verse 52, because he walked in the way of his father. And verse 53 says, he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. And as we opened up 1 Kings, it, it began with a man after God's own heart and a united kingdom, remember, as we were learning about Solomon and what God was doing in Solomon's life. And how does the book end with really two godless kings on two thrones in a divided nation. And, you know, Jehoshaphat, he rests with his father. Jehoram, he's, he's not walking in the ways of the Lord. Ahaziah doesn't walk with the ways of the Lord. And, you know, it could be the same testimony for us. God wants us to be in the long haul, man, all the way to the end. And may the Lord strengthen us in that way. Father, we just pray as we think through, the book opens up with Solomon, ends with two godless kings. It's so sad. It's so sad, Lord, that God, you would, well, you would just, you'd be so gracious to us and we would take advantage of your grace. And I just pray, God, that you would help us to walk in the ways of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, heal the wounds of betrayal, uh, the wounds of uh, broken friendships, the wounds of just, you know, people that want to divide. They're just dividers. There's nothing about them that is uniting trying to win us over to their side or trying to win us over to their argument instead of really promoting the great and awesome work of your Holy Spirit and the unity that comes by following you. So keep us strong and keep us moving forward, Lord, that you would have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.